forever. Dog. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Oh, yeah. Good, good midday, everyone. How are you? <laughs> um, well, we have an exciting panel for you today. Um, a lot of people always want to know about how people got to where they are in their career, what advice do they have. So rather than it just being a quick little Q&A, we have an entire panel centered around it with some very diverse panelists who will have many fun stories and anecdotes, I'm sure, to tell you guys. So without further ado, let me bring these guys out. Uh, first up, uh, an ATX, uh, I would say poster child at this point. Um, our credits include Life Unexpected, Casual, and the upcoming Little Fires Everywhere. Please welcome Liz Tiglar. Uh, next up, uh, also not a first-timer at ATX and one of our former pitch competition judges. Uh, credits include Being Human and Valor and a Fricky. Woo! Woo-woo! Also a OG ATXer, uh, the head of drama at CBS, uh, Brian Seabury. Then uh, the creator of Greek and writer and uh, producer on Chasing Life, Patrick Sean Smith. And last but certainly not least, also a return guest to ATX with the best pants of the day, Jonathan Tucker. I mean, really, they're pretty good pants. Um, so this panel is all about sort of like career trajectory, how you got where you are, like what was your path to getting there. But before we go back, I think maybe it might be important just for you guys to go down the line and really quickly just say what you're doing now and kind of loosely what the day what the day to day of that Anna. Anna, it's fine. It'll be fine. But this will be good. It's insight into the highs and lows. Right, right. Like specifically last week, like what did you do? No. Um, generally, with the job description that you guys have, what is your day to day like now? Um, and we'll go from there. Now it is. All right. Right now, I am working on the morning show, which is a show for Apple, starring Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston. And I'm writing a pilot for a show called Little Fires Everywhere, which is a limited series that's going to be at Hulu, also starring Reese and Kerry Washington. But your sort of creator, showrunner, EP, writer, of all of those titles is sort of like where you live now. That's yeah. the level you're yes. at. Okay. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. And then just writing some other pilots that I still kind of owe on the side. Okay. Some side gigs. Some side gigs. Will always happen. Anna? Uh, I am a writer. <laughs> Can't recover. Uh, I'm a writer and a showrunner. Uh, I'm laughing because Brian is in on this with me, but I am currently in limbo for a pilot that I just produced, and we don't know what's happening yet, so I don't know what to do <laughs> until Brian tells me what to do. But that's very... That's, that's, <laughs> Are we gonna have breaking news on this panel? Um, but that's actually a very common place to be as someone working in this industry, and I think it's very apropos because there are these weird times where you're not in control of your own career and trajectory of that career, and you have to sort of, that's part of keeping going and having the momentum to wanna keep doing it. It is, and you're very talented and beautiful. Um, Brian. 
yeah, I run drama development at CBS Studios. Oh, excuse me. That's studios. okay. It's just a slight distinction. Um, I've done the job at, right. at CBS Network as well. But so we're selling to you know all over town to cable and streaming. Obviously, vertically aligned with several places. You know, CBS, CW. Um, so right now, we just got on the broadcast side. We just got through pilot season, right? Um, so certain pilots were ordered a series, certain are in limbo waiting to see if they can find a home, which we're, fingers are across for. Um, cable is year-round, it's not on that kind of a calendar, so that's you know, 30 different cable projects all in different phases. And then June, when I get back to town, we'll be spent figuring out what our pitches are that are going to be taking in into that broadcast window. And just for this audience, sort of the rough distinction between studio and network is studio is more on the development and, and selling side, whereas the network is more on the, the buying side. Yeah, well, when, uh, when Anna comes in with a, with a pitch, we sit there and figure out where can we go to sell it, as opposed to if I was doing this job at NBC I, and Anna comes in to pitch, I'm only thinking about, can I buy this for my network? At a studio, you're thinking about where all can I sell it? Patrick? Uh, and I'm uh, developing, so unemployed. Um, <laughs> if you guys need a showrunner, just also a very tweet me. common place to be <laughs> in this industry. Yeah. And so uh, uh, what, um, are you now? Are, are you sort of just developing like passion projects, or are you sort of like? It's, are you, is it based on material? Did someone? Are you developing with a partner? Like, what's what's that sort of process like for you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I I'd had something. I'd sold something to the CW uh, this past development season that they passed on. So okay. now it's just trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. Very cool. And uh, Jonathan, the life of an actor. Yeah, you, uh, uh, you know, there'll be a good segue into this topic, which is there's a big difference between, uh, be, between working and employment. Yeah. And you have to separate those two. Uh, you can always be working. Uh, whether you are employed or not is up to somebody else oftentimes. Uh, thankfully, I've been very luckily employed. Um, I just actually, fun, funny enough, I was here last year uh, with a former Justified colleague, and we had uh, a few scotches, and as we took uh, a taxi home, we both agreed that I would do the second season of Snowfall, so in a very minor sort of supporting my friend role, uh, so that was a lot of fun. I just did a Showtime pilot, which is, we'll start shooting the full season uh, in October, where I am playing a character from my neighborhood of Charlestown, Massachusetts in the decade in which I grew up in the 90s. So some home excavations. And, um, and I'm also, I also develop material. So my wife and I have a project with, um, with Graham Yost, who is a ATX uh, supporter uh, at Sony uh, with Demi Moore. And we are closing our limited little actor so development deals with them uh, right now. So it's, I, I see it from a few different places. Do you find, Jonathan, that, because um, you've been acting for a while, and uh, I'm sure you, you know, you get to a point as an actor, or I see people get to a point as an actor where they do start wanting to branch out with those development sort of ideas and tendrils. Uh, is that something that's new for you? Have you always wanted to do that? I, I think I've always wanted to do it, but you just, you start working with people, and you just want to work with people you like. Because these are our real lives, and if you're talking about careers, like this is as much of a real day for everybody on this panel as when they're developing, as when their show premieres. 
taking a question from you guys is as much of a real exchange as anything else in our lives. And at a certain point, you know, I've been doing this 25 years now. This is my 25th year with Screen Actors Guild. You just want to work with people you like. Um, so now that everybody's sort of clued into where these guys are now, we'll go back um, and I guess just quickly, what made you guys want to get into this business? Were, did you have someone close to you that was a, an artist of some kind? Was it just that you loved TV? Was there an inspiration moment for you? Just br briefly talk about the, the moment you were like, I want to do that. Let me just go well, down. I always liked, uh, I always was a little dramatic uh, as a child. My very best friend in the whole world is here, Brenda, and she and I used to, we used to make movies in my neighborhood, like fake movies kind of, where we would just like run around in Dallas, um, and we would always, uh, we were, we kind of played Star Wars, where she was Princess Leia, I'm younger. I was Leia's distant cousin, Anna. <laughs> When we played Little House on the Prairie, I got to be Laura and she had to be Lena, an obscure cousin. So it, it all evened out, but um, we traded off. But we always, we just had a childhood, like growing up, like making movies, making tapes, telling stories. And that was just kind of what we did. And um, I think that she introduced me to Days of Our Lives at a pivotal age for me. And I decided I was going to be a soap opera actress on Days of Our Lives. And... Uh, then I was not a good actress, and I thought, someone writes this shit, I could probably do that. Um, and uh, I moved out to LA, really with the intention of becoming a writer on Days of Our Lives. It was a very singular focus. Um, so I'm still waiting, I'm hoping. The show is still Days on. Days of Our Lives, if you're listening, right, right, right. I'm available. Um, that's awesome, Anna, what about you? Um, I had a similar, I mean, we were very old friends, so I had a, I had a similar upbringing. Uh, you know, I grew up in Maine just sort of talking to myself a lot and uh, <laughs> talking to trees and rocks and writing a lot of stories. And I always wrote in college, and I did a lot of theater and writing in college. But I, I went to Swarthmore College, which didn't have any sort of film program or anything like that. Um, so I was sort of trying to choose between theater and writing. and. I also was like, I love doing theater in college, but I'm like, I'm not gonna, I don't wanna walk into a room and have people just be like, no. <laughs> like, I can handle it. If someone writes, you know, I, I had writing teachers write on my papers like trite, omit, and like put huge X's through. I can take that on the page, but I, just, I can't handle the other. So great respect for you. Um, so uh, two weeks after graduating from college, I just, I moved out to LA thinking like, I'll just, you know, I'll get a job as a writer's assistant, which is almost as hard, or at least it was then, as being staffed. It was crazy. So I, I worked some odd jobs, and then I finally got a job as a PA on Dawson's Creek, which is where we met, and that turned into sort of film school for me. Brian, what about the executive track? Was that something you knew you, was even a thing, or? No, yeah, I mean, yeah, that was yeah. probably the light bulb, finding out that that was a thing, because I, I was a big, reader, you know, just yeah. my whole life, and then so immediately I'll be an English major, but I didn't know what that could turn into, and then I did have a professor, I went to Vanderbilt, that didn't have a film program or anything at the time, but he had worked in LA a little bit, and he said, you know, you really like, you know, reading and, and talking about it with a critical eye and that sort of thing, so we 
he was the one who started talking about development execs, and I went out to the bookstore and ordered like every book about Hollywood possible, and thought, oh my gosh, this is this is maybe a, a, a there's a, a job you can get paid to read. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, Patrick, what I'm not a reader, not a fan. <laughs> Did you uh, act with rocks or talk to them or with, no? Like, no, stuff? I was. I grew up in a small town in Texas, uh, Decatur. Uh, and st- yeah. Oh, yeah, well, yes. Yeah, you, they know. <laughs> uh, uh, and <laughs> um, d- I loved television. I was, you know, I was, I was an indoor kid. I, sports scared the crap out of me. So <laughs> I watched TV and I fell in love with television. And uh, I went to UT Austin, and uh, everybody was, you know, big into the film program. And at that time, it was Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez. And I was like, and Aaron Spelling. <laughs> And people were like, we hate you. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to find my own track. Uh, and then... Aaron Spelling probably has more money. And, so, and then maybe both of those. Yeah, yeah. So for me, it was just always TV. And then uh, when I understood the business of it and the collaboration of it, then it was something that I knew that I wanted to do. So uh, there was a, 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 there's a bakery in upstate New York called Fryhofer's Bakery. And they would pay for um, people, kids under 12 and women, or men and women over the age of like 65 to go to the New York City Ballet up in Saratoga Springs, New York, which is their summer home. So my grandmother would bring me, whew, even just saying that, I got a little emotional. My, grand- <laughs> my grandmother would bring me to the ballet when I, was a, yeah, when I was a little kid. And I started to, uh, doing ballet when I went back to Boston, which is where I'm from. Uh, and I danced with the Boston Ballet Company for five or six years. And then uh, dragged my parents to get me an agent, which is like good advice if you have people in your life who say, how do I get my kids into the business? It's like, they will drag you into the business. They will, they will guide you there. Uh, and that's what got me into, into acting. Now, did you want to initially, though, be a dancer? Or you had your sights set on, like, No, I, I wanted acting. to be a dancer. And then okay. I was like, you know, I think this acting thing's a little more exciting. I read for Lorenzo's Oil, which was a movie. They did, like, a national casting call for. I, it would have been even better if I had gotten it, though, maybe. <laughs> No, I'm kidding. It's a wonderful movie. And my, I was like on a little Polaroid headshot on like a three by five note card that the local casting department would, would, uh, would call up. And funny enough, the same casting director from that uh, is, is the local casting director uh, on the Showtime pilot that I just did now 25 years later. So I'm not wow. That's amazing. I mean, that's, well, that's actually brings up a good point in that there are more than most businesses that I can think of, there are so, there's so much ebb and flow with where people are working, who's doing what, because it is sort of this collaborative, ever-changing sort of business, you know, that you do have to sort of keep an eye on who is where and who's doing what. And, you know, um, I guess um, that's my agent calling right now um, <laughs> to tell me that I just got a directing job. Um, <laughs> But uh, I guess, like, let's talk about relationship for a bit and relationships in the business because, again, I think it's par for the course that relationships are good when in any job that you have. But would you, is there a, a, a moment in your career that you would consider your big break in a person or someone that really helped you to get, get to that point? Yeah, definitely. I mean, getting the... Like Anna said, we met on Dawson's Creek, and I moved out here also two weeks after I graduated, which was at the same time Anna did. And um, there was actually a woman, Ilka Rivard, who was working for Paul Stupin, who was the non-writing EP of Dawson's. And she, we'd gone to the same college but didn't know each other. And really, I got that internship because, um, because of her. So that was kind of 
you know, and I, I never really understood like um, that alumni stuff mattered. Like, I, and they talk, they would talk about that when you first got to college, and I'd be like, I don't know, like, does that even, is that even like a thing? And then I realized it is like it really is legitimate, and it really is a thing. And so that was a big break. And then um, I would say. I got onto a show as an assistant. Um, so Anna had a very, I would say, meteoric rise on Dawson's Creek. Um, she was incredibly talented. <laughs> I had a little more like windy of a path. Um, uh, Anna was like pretty, like you were very successful. Anyway, whatever. I was like opening a yoga studio. Like, and by opening, I don't mean like I opened a yoga studio. I mean, I was the one there at like 5 a.m. actually opening the yoga studio. <laughs> and like, what? You a little, I was terrible, but I did. But it was, I'm just saying it wasn't, I didn't open a yoga studio. Anyway, whatever. I literally opened a yoga studio. Yes, I was a weird cousin. I was a weird, unsuccessful cousin. And I remember it was like, I was, I was like, how am I gonna, you know, it's, you're doing something with somebody. And then I'm like, oh, I'm kind of, I wrote this kind of weird, not that great episode. And I was like, oh man, I blew well, it. Look and, at you now and look at me. And, and, no. <laughs> She's waiting for her pilot. <laughs> no, but anyway, um, I kind of had a more meandering path, and I ended up becoming a writer's assistant many, many more times. And then um, I was on a show, American Dreams, that we had at the festival a few years ago, and um, got another opportunity to write a freelance. Sometimes when you're an assistant, you can get like a freelance episode, and that's a good way to hopefully get on staff. That was how Anna got on staff on Dawson's. I did not get on staff. And, and when I had a chance again, I was like, all right, I'm not fucking it up this time. Like, um, no boat races. I'm gonna like, <laughs> I'm gonna really focus. And um, it was really, uh, the creator of that show, Jonathan Prince, who, right. who you know, it, it takes, you the yes that you yeah, do. I mean, you need to, obviously you need to, to do a good job, um, first and foremost, but you also just need an advocate and you need somebody who wants to actually help you make that leap. And I think that um, you can't underestimate the importance of networking. And I don't mean it in like an oogie way, I mean it in a legitimate way. Like you want to, you want people to invest in you, um, you want to do great work for them, and then you want them to help you. Um, and then you'll do the same for other people. And, and, and again, it's not in a gross, like, schmoozy way. It's in a legitimate way. You invest in people, and you invest in, in, um, in them and what they want to do. And, and it's nice to, you know, you were helped, and it's nice to do that for somebody else. Did you, when, I guess both you guys, when you guys both were hired on Dawson's Creek, did you, had you, to get the, even to get the writer's assistant job, did you have something that someone read or was it more of just like a, you know, did you have, yeah. have you been writing where you like read the script that I wrote or was it more, and do you think that's yeah. changed nowadays to get a writer's assistant job? Do you think material is important to present? I mean, we certainly didn't need it. It was like I started as an intern and I started as a production secretary. Like nobody was necessarily thinking of us for that, but I, I do think that having material, like being ready when you have an opportunity, it's important. If somebody's like, hey, you're in the right place at the right time, you've done a great job as an assistant, I actually want to give you a freelance script, who knows it could lead to staffing, I'm ready to invest in you, and you're like, I don't have anything you can read. It's like, well, you didn't really make the most of the opportunity, yeah. so you want to be ready. Um, and what about you? Was there somebody along the way or a moment that you could sort of consider where the, everything flipped over for you? Um, and who is that person if there was? 
Yeah, I, I, I would also say that alumni and networking is important because I randomly got the interview just for the PA job at Dawson's Creek because of someone who went to my high school, right. Hadley oh. Davis, who went to my high school, was a writer. I didn't even know her. I just, I ran into someone at a reunion and she was like, you should call Hadley Davis. And I just went in through the alumni network and stalked her. And I think she really stalked her. Like she had- With social media, it's much easier now. Anyway. Much, much so easier. Then it was then hard. at the time, how old- Book out. It was so weird. At the time, it was like old-fashioned and creepy. She had uh, like a book out, and she was having a book reading somewhere, and I sent her flowers <laughs> <laughs> to the book reading, just so I could get an interview with Paul Steuben for this PA job, <laughs> which I then got, which was good. So then I, you know, and Liz was right. Like I, I was very lucky at Dawson's, and I worked my way up through the assistance jobs. And because I was working there for so long, I was writing, and so I had something to give She was very talented. Her. You weren't lucky. I, she was I had something to give her. But I will, but I will say... I was, but I, but I will say this is that even it's sticky in the beginning, you know, like even though that was my first job and it seemed like, oh, this is going to be great. This is super easy. After Dawson's ended, I got a job on a show that was a six, ended up being a six week job and we shut down before we even shot the first episode. And then I was just unemployed at a random time of year and I couldn't get anything. And I was a baby writer and my agent was like, I don't know. And so I just spent months like trying to figure out what to do, and I watched a lot of Felicity, and was like, "What do I write now?" And you know, my agent advised me to like write something that you don't currently have. So I wrote an alias spec. I guess I was really fully immersed in J.J. Abrams. <laughs> Looking <laughs> back, like took like, a deep dive, but that then you know ultimately got me on another off-cycle show that was like an FBI show that I never would have been on otherwise. So. I'm just rambling now, but that's no, what I, happened. No, I, I, I can't stress enough like how often you will find yourself in those positions of uncertainty. And so like I, I you know, I feel like you might you'll probably all agree that like the people who can work, as you said, Jonathan, through those times and realize it's part of the process and not that it's like, well, everything's over now, are the ones that will have, you know, longevity. Um, that is a, it is a weird time because, um, like, I had it too where you've been staffed on a show and then either the show gets canceled, I mean, the show gets canceled usually, and it used to be if you kind of miss the window for network staffing, there weren't all these opportunities of cable and streaming and like a year round cycle. It was like, you kind of got staffed in June and then you had to wait till the next June. And I remember thinking the same thing, like American Dreams got canceled and I was like, well, I finally made it. I've been on the show for a couple seasons. Like, it's gonna be easier now. And then of course it was awful. I was like crying in my bed. I didn't get crossing Jordan. And then <laughs> Kyle XY, oh man, I was like, they didn't hire me and I was like, that's probably good. And then of course it came back around and I was like, oh no. And then I broke out in like full body shingles and I was like, I can't. And then it was like, it was like terrible. But anyway, but I also, she watched Felicity. I had a whole thing where I watched um, on FX, they played 90210 like four hours a day. So all I did was like, watch two hours of 90210, go to yoga, eat nachos, take a nap, watch two more hours of 90210, eat nachos again, go to bed. And that was like six months. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm gonna do. But that, that's like, that, that is exactly, I, I think you have to find inspiration or some sort of like sanity or grounding in that time. You well, know? and you're like, I can't just go back to being an assistant because then that's going to mess up right. what I just did as a writer. And so you're like, I need money. But if I go back, then it's almost like I have to start over. So it's just like, right. you know. 
Uh, Brian, for, for you moving up in the executive track, like I know it's a little bit more like tiered and structured and you sort of move through the ranks a little bit more. Can the, you... first, the first job sounds very similar. I mean, I, yeah. I re- I'm from Wichita Falls. I was waiting tables in L.A., just trying to get my foot in the door somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, a, a friend of a friend of a friend from Wichita Falls had a uncle who worked Always. at the WB, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's important. It's important. Make lists of anybody who's out there who might, who, who you might know. And the, the town runs on general, asking for general meetings is not odd. I mean, it may take a while, you know, people are, are very busy, but it's not out of the ordinary to be asked for a general meeting. And a lot of your executives and writers have, you know, have benefited from taking general meetings and therefore you kind of pay it back usually. Um, and so she basically got me a general meeting with her uncle, and he sent my resume over to, or he told me called this number to become a PA at the WB network when right. Dawson's was on the air. Um, Were you a PA at WB? Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Did you have to answer WWW? Yeah. So WWB. this, I get this question a lot. The receptionist was the receptionist had to answer the phone. Thank you for calling the WWWB. And I, I was a PA. I was not the receptionist. <laughs> however, uh, however, there was an hour where the receptionist <laughs> needed to go to lunch. And I, my entire late morning was always figuring out how to be on a run out of the office, getting coffee for somebody so I wouldn't have to be at the receptionist desk uh, doing that for that, for that hour. Because also people would just call to make you say it. It sounds like... It sounds like it sounds like those people were likely Anna Fricky, is what I'm gathering. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, so that that's the first job. Yeah. But yeah, I do think that it's it's in a development, being a development executive, it is an apprentice business, and so that would, there's no class you can take in college. I mean, I said I was an English major, and that certainly helped me with the reading and kind of forming my own. You're like, so it's dubba dubba WB. <laughs> How many dubbas? Just, I just want to get it right. Yeah, no, I studied. Um, but the, the great, if you can find, if, if you can get an assistant gig for an executive, and that executive, you know, can, is, is the kind of executive to kind of impart some, you know, knowledge on you. You listen in on calls, right? You can listen in on notes calls. You're listening in on how they speak to agents. You're listening to, in, into them speaking to writers. I mean, every call that we have, there's minimum three people on the, on the phone, like, you know, Anna, me, and my, and my assistant. Maybe, oh, shoot. <laughs> um, and so you're learning the language of the business. You're learning how it goes, and it's incredibly important. You know, you can come out and and say, I want to be a development executive, but you're really setting yourself up for failure if you just become a junior development executive right. and, you haven't, and you haven't learned it, you haven't, again, developed your own voice, you haven't learned what all you ha- have to learn from the people who can teach it. Yeah. So that, that's the great news on the development executive front, that once you become an assistant, which is difficult, but there, hopefully, you find yourself in a place that has some stability and that you can hopefully start moving up the ranks. And giving notes is a skill in and of itself. And I imagine, depending on which company you're working for, the, you know, the notes that are being given yeah, are I, tonally changed and what they're asking for. For sure, yeah. Some of them are, I guess, a little systemic for the type of place that you're at. But hopefully, you're with an executive who who you understand why they are giving what they're giving. Um, great assistants will figure out a way to get in 
to their executive before their notes call and just talk about their own notes, you know, and executives are kind of busy, but I've seen assistants do it really well and that's what they're doing. They're kind of, you know, bouncing a few notes. I've certainly heard some notes from my assistants that I thought could really help the material and have, have used them. Um, that's all about developing your voice, but it needs to be your own. There's no, uh, the worst executives are kind of a checklist you know, and yeah, that you feel totally. like you're just kind of going through the motions, repeating phrases. Yeah, yeah, the, the phrases are even just like, well, when I read a piece of material, I look for this, 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 and this. It's not that. I mean, it's, it's, it's a living, breathing, you know, piece of material that's hopefully going to be on TV pretty soon. And you're, you're talking to writers who made, who made all those choices that you see in front of you. You better be trying to figure out how to help make it better, not elevate just make it, it elevate it, not just make it different for the sake of making it different. I mean, you're all kind of in it together, but your your notes need to be strong. Well, and yes, I was gonna say Brian's, and because also you have such a you've been a producer, like you have such a producer brain too. Like you're very in the process with the writer as a support. That, that has been big for me, understanding how the TV shows get made, because I was a producer for a little bit. There are executives who can be fabulous executives, but it's very difficult for them to get an assistant job at a network, stay at that network, rise up through the ranks the whole way, and they haven't ever really been on the ground watching it, and that can change your notes a little bit. The other thing that changes your notes I've found with junior executives, and something to think of if, if anybody wants to be a development executive, is don't just think about your kind of internal discussion with your colleagues. Think about how you would deliver that note to a writer, which is very different. I mean, you guys probably have it as well. If you guys are discussing material internally and then you have to go to your writer, it probably sounds a little different. Same thing with executives. That's a different skill. Don't start you know, giving notes that you can't defend or not knowing how to talk about it and not know how to talk about it in a way where it can be executed. Yeah. Smart. Yeah. Um, Patrick, let's go to you in terms of just a moment or a person along the way that sort of helped you get over or get that first big thing for you. I mean, I think mine was, again, I was here in Austin. I, LA seemed so far away. I had no idea how I could make that step and I did two summer internships in LA uh, while I was in college and my last one was with a casting director. Uh, I knew, again, I knew I wanted to work in TV but I didn't know really in what capacity. So I was like, maybe casting. So I had that summer internship with the casting director, I moved to LA and I was like, 90210 or Buffy, those are the only two jobs I'm gonna take. <laughs> I'm waiting for those. <laughs> and she called me and said, you know, uh, she knew that Dick Wolf was looking for a writer's PA, and I was like, ugh, I guess. <laughs> Law and order, Who whatever. Who is this Dick Wolf person? <laughs> you can't say that on television. Um, sorry, inside joke. Um, but uh, so, so that's, I got that writer's PA job, uh, and that was kind of, that's what paid the bills while I was living in LA. That's how I paid my dues. Um, he was supportive when I realized that I wanted to be a writer. I had to go in, sit down, and say, you know, I want to pursue this. And he was like, writing is the worst. He's like, are you sure? Because it's miserable. I'm like, thank you. Yes, I do. Um, <clears throat> so I, I, I kind of attribute that experience to what really got me going. But then eventually, you know, I was working for Greg Berlanti on Everwood and getting to write scripts there. But... Um, at that point, I'd, I'd been a writer's assistant for a while, and apparently, by like the end of that second year, I was getting a little ready to fly. When like they were like, "Where are our lunches?" I'm like, "I don't know. Get your own damn lunch." And they're like, "Sean, you're ready. You're ready to be 
not an not an assistant anymore. Um, so and that and that was a scary time, but it was helpful, and I, I staffed after that. And uh, but I, I had that same thing where it was like a year and a half of not working, and I was like, I can either beat myself up or I can you know just keep writing, and that's when I wrote Greek. So yeah. Yep, I was looking at grad schools and writing Greek. <laughs> I was like, one of the two is gonna happen. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, jo- Jonathan, for you, um, was there a show that you sort of felt catapulted you into a different sort of class? That's, no, because I was gonna actor, say, looking at the title, you know, two steps forward, one step back. I would, right, yeah, I, I would, true. you know, you know, you, I'd say maybe like the Black Donnellys. There's this like right. huge NBC pilot. It's Paul Haggis and Bobby Moresco, they win the Academy Award. It's like a straight to series order. It's like the biggest budget show in New York and I'm the star of it and so on and so forth. And it's like, you know, awesome. It's great material and Paul's directing the pilot. And, uh, and we got three episodes on the air and then they put them onto like NBC.com. Uh, so it's like, and by the you know, I had been working for a long time up until that point so I was disappointed. I wasn't shocked, but it was just like a great example because when you get part, when you're in all this and you see how long it takes to develop material slash how long it takes to develop a career, you know, there's a lot more details in this than you just seeing the show on the air. So this was like the hype train of the Black Donnellys on NBC. And we did actually the reunion here, the 10 year reunion last year. Um, so that was not, uh, that, did not, that did not catapult me per se. Um, but you know, it's the lead on a series, on a network series. I was gonna say that the crystallized kind of moment for me was getting fired from a big Fox TV show where I was coming on as a guest star. I didn't want to do the show, um, but I needed the money and uh, I hadn't been employed for three years. I had tested for no short of 28 pilots and didn't get any of them. I mean, I was getting offered test deals like two, three times in a week, like easy, easy. And um, you get to a certain place where like, you're not being employed. And um, you know, and then you get married or like you have like financial constraints. And you know, Amex does not care that you tested for a pilot that week. Um, and at a certain point, like, so I did. I got I, I, during the course of like all of this testing for pilots and not getting the opportunity to 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 get a conversion, so to speak. I end up getting offered this guest star, and I'm like, I don't want to do it. I don't like the show, um, but I could use the money. If I can do something with the role, then I'll I will have to take it. So I go on to set. And I'm like, I'm cool, I'm in, I got 25 cool ideas, and they kind of chop me down to like seven, fine, no problem. Um, and I get the call the next day, and they're like, so how did it go for my, my manager? And I was like, you know, they wanted a 10, and I wanted a one, and whatever, we met kind of in the middle. She goes, well, you won't be going back. But it was a pay or play, so I got my check. And, but the thing was is that I, I wanted to do, I was like, I was coming there to do something. Like I was showing up on set to get, to create a real character and to like really try to bring something to this material. And I just didn't give a shit anymore what any of these people thought about me. And when I got fired, I was like totally fine with it. Cause I was like, this is what I want to do. Like how I'm, I'm, I'm now 36 years old. Like this is my life. So like I better have a good time working. I better like be satisfied by the quality of the work that I'm doing, the quality of storytellers I'm getting to work with and the choices I'm going to make. And I'm going to do a lot of work before I show up. So in terms of like, are you, if you're going to defend your note, you better defend it. Cause I'm coming like strong. Like I've done a lot of work. I've done a lot of work and getting fired by that. Then like I've been lucky enough, like I haven't stopped being employed since that point. And that was probably seven or eight years ago. 
Well, and I think you bring up a good point, too, because, I mean, uh, maybe a little differently, especially when, you know, obviously there's a difference between being on a show for a, that runs a long time versus just being in that period of time where you're doing a bunch of guest stars and you're popping in and out. We were just talking about this on the ride over. Popping in and out of shows for a guest star or whatever. And so you, you, you are the new kid on the block and you don't really... You haven't been with the show for months of, you know, all of the sort of like the reasons why all of these decisions are being made. But at the same time, you're trying to come at it from an artist's perspective, which is totally respectful. And so finding that balance between respecting what the show is versus like what you have been working on yourself that maybe the people on set weren't respecting, you know? And I feel like, you know, every job for an actor is sort of a a one-off in a way because you don't know... Um, sort of what you're walking into at the time, but you just have to be confident that you've done the work that yeah, will but make you know you that, that's the thing about like good careers, and I'm I'm not going to speak for everybody here, but like you have to find your voice, like right. whether it's a development executive or a showrunner or writer, like it, when the moment you find your voice and you put your feet in the ground, you say this is who I am and this is like what I'm going to bring to the world. There, you can't argue with that because it's that person's voice. And then the doors open and people can smell it. Like I'm sure these, when you guys are sitting there casting, you know when someone comes in and wants to please you. No one wants someone to please you in any capacity, in any profession. You don't want someone like trying to, I can do it like this. Do you guys like it like that? I can do it faster. You know, a little slower, like more angry, angry. Like I'm here to collaborate for sure. You collaborate. But trying to please is where you start getting the two steps backwards. Well, and you, I'm going to... Whatever, you bring up getting fired, I was just thinking about. Um, I used to live in like fear of getting fired off a show because I would, I mean, when we started on Dawson's, everybody got fired and I would find out someone was getting fired and just cry and cry. And I was like, so, I was so sad for them and da 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 da. And then I realized, of course, they're getting paid and they don't want to be on the show anyway and whatever, it would be its whole thing. But anyway, I lived in fear of getting fired. Brian and I did a show, Life Unexpected, together and then that ended. And I signed an overall deal with ABC and ended up um, meeting on Once Upon a Time. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be amazing. It's like, it's everything I love. It's like, you know, family and who's your mother and like this mythology. And I'd worked for Winnie Holtzman on um, Wicked. And I was like, oh, it's like reimagining these stories you know, everything great. I get in there on the first day. I sit down next to Jane Espenson, who I'm like, I'm working with Jane Espenson. We start talking and like, just very quickly, it was like, I don't even know what we were talking about. It was like, you know, I, I was like, oh, and then she like trips and falls down the hole and they were like, it's a portal. And I'm like, oh, okay. And then I'd be like, so anyway, when she falls down the hole and they're like, it's a portal. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and very quickly, I would say probably by the end of the first day, I was like, I have a feeling this may not be a match. Um, <laughs> And uh, it wasn't. And, you know, months went by as it continued to not be a match. God bless everybody. And um, I remember, anyway, I, I got fired in a kind of, it felt like a little bit of a traumatizing way only because, I mean, it's, it's traumatizing to be fired. And also, I had, like, come in early and... I guess I had seen my bosses, but we had a perfectly nice interaction. Yeah, it was like heating up like a meal delivery and like that microwave. And I'm like, hey, I'm just here for a tone meeting. Or so. Anyway, I go into my office. My agent at the time calls me and he's like, um, and I had, I'd really, I had felt like 
I, I felt like it was a show where, um, I loved the show, but I felt like we definitely approached story from very opposing perspectives, and I just felt like... The process to yeah, get like there. Sometimes it's like plot yields character, and then sometimes it's like character yields plot, and like people approach it differently, and I think, you know, when you have a show, the wonderful thing about having a show, and I, you know, we eventually talked about this after the awful firing, which was like, everybody deserves to have people on their show who get their show fully. And like, I fully believe that. And that was a show I did not get fully. Um, but anyway, my agent called and he was like, um, great news. <laughs> You're done. And I was like, I am? I was like, oh my God, amazing. And I'm like, so what do you mean? I should just like finish out my episode and he goes, no, no, you can just kind of like get your stuff and go right now. <laughs> it was like 10, 20 a.m. I had like just gotten there. No, and I was like, like leave? And I was like, yeah. And so I'm like, okay. Like your banker's box like, where you're like no, putting your plant. And, well, eventually, like 10 p.m. that night. Anyway, I was hosting a party that night, but the crazy thing was, I anyway, I get in my car, I call my mom, and of course I'm like, I'm like, hi. And she's like, what's wrong? And I'm like, I just got fired. And she's like, from what? And I was like, <laughs> of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was like, my job. <laughs> she was like, who cares? <laughs> anyway, and I was hosting a party then I go home to my wife and I'm like, we're hosting a party. I'm like, let's just not tell anybody about the firing. I was like, I feel really fragile about it, whatever. Of course, I have like two shots of the tequila then everyone walks in. I'm like, I got fired today. <laughs> I was like, like fired. <laughs> But it was a good, it, it, it freed me up from the fear of being fired again. Yeah. Um, and it also was, was kind of, not empowering, it felt humiliating, but it was, um, it felt great to just know that like, you find your way to, um, and I'm just talking about personally, I'm just talking about professionally, you find your way to kind of just the people that you connect and gel with and tell, you know, that you approach story the same way, that you sit in a room together and, and just click, and it's important to find that. And like, yeah, you walk in, not every, not every place is gonna be your place, totally. and you know, I mean, it has to kind of be okay. Yeah. And all three of you have been on the other end of that as well, right? You, you have right- Firing of people. Firing, I mean, we don't, do we call it firing? Yeah. <laughs> we don't bring them back. <laughs> the firing sounds horrible. Terminate. No, but. But I bet all three of you talked to the writer directly and didn't have the agent do it, would be my guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the way to do it. Well, I think to, all, to both of your points is like, you know, so much of what you're putting into this, these things are per, personal in some way or you're just giving so much of yourself. You spend so many hours with these people, sometimes more than even with your own family, that it's sort of like to make, to, to give that much and to want to make the same end product is like, you know, you've got to find your people to totally. your point or the people that, or if, or the people that understand what you're bringing to the table and, and, and say, you yes, hold, and I you want that. you can't hold grudges for, if it doesn't work out. Right, right. Like, no, I mean, because you, you, holding grudges like that, it's just such an anchor, you know? No, everybody has, and I mean, that's how I, I felt the same way. I was like, everybody, you, you have, if, if you are lucky enough to get a show on the air, it's like you have that shot to keep, that's your shot to keep it on the air. You deserve every person on your staff to get it. And if they don't, they're not the right fit and that's okay. And also that's pitching to networks and finding the right network, that's the home for the story that you want to tell. Um, I, I did a pitch once and I, you know, I was like, I nailed it. End of the pitch, the president of the network goes, no. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I was like, it 
I'm just going to take my clothes off and have a nightmare. I was like, this could not get any worse. This is the absolute worst case scenario for a pitch. Like, the first thing out of his mouth was no. That's crazy. It was... Yeah. I remember uh, Don Ostroff once saying to me after pitching Life Unexpected for like the 800th time and I was in like a full body sweat where like it had like I'd like hit it out. <laughs> <laughs> it was so hot. And, and I finished and I was like put everything into it and she was like you're a great pitcher. And I was like dead. I was like and that's it. It was just like it's like when you hand in a script and they're like this is formatted well. Yeah. <laughs> like, Final draft. She had a great personality. Yeah. Yeah, no what, typos. What font is this? That is really nice work. <laughs> but you, want, you go, but it, it helps to know if, if things don't work out, you know, you don't want to continue that relationship and just have it not be good, that everybody's excited and on the same page with what you're trying to do. But, and you're so thankful when they say no because it's like, at least he said no immediately. Like, I mean, it stinks on the day, but at least like you're like, well, great, I'll find another home. I don't need to sit around waiting for this answer. I mean, that's one of the blessings of being an actor. You went for an audition. Like, you get to find out if you guys are collaborating too and it's not a one-way street as an actor. And when you realize that, do I have, is my voice going to fit with your, with your voice and your process? then it becomes a much more empowering experience rather than being beholden to a process that a lot of people have turned into something that makes you feel like, am I worth it or not? Right. Do I have self-worth or not? Um, let's go to really quick, uh, I, I did, we, we have a, a few more minutes before I'm gonna open it up to Q&A, but um, I know that there, you know, social media is sort of this new thing and I've heard people, um, say that it, for them sometimes it's been a place where they've either, either gotten a job or gotten connected to someone or like reached out to someone. Have you guys found sort of like in this new wave of, you know, being able to, to tweet at Jane Espenson or like connect with her, which, you know, maybe she was an elusive, you know, creature yeah. 10 years ago or whatever, but have you guys had experiences where social media has affected like, a, a job in a, a, a way, or would you ever consider using social media as a tool to find, like, a, you know, a writer's PA or anything like that? Just whoever has had maybe had an experience about that. I, I would say for me, it's more the other way. Like, if I'm looking for someone among friends, I'm not a huge like. I don't. I'm on Twitter, but I don't really do it. It freaks me out a little bit. I'm like, it shouldn't be so easy to be so mean to people directly. Like, that is I, true. I had people reach out to me and be like, "Can you tell your husband why episode 12 of Supernatural fucking sucked this year?" And I'm just like, I don't want to say that. No, I'm not going to say that to him. So I. I apologize not, for that, Anna. <laughs> It was very like you late. Just, you could have just... And Ambien. <laughs> mic drop, mic drop. But, so, I don't really do that, but if I, like on Facebook, I'll be like, hey guys, does anyone know of a great assistant? Like, I believe in it in that way, but I've never really gotten it the, the other way, really. I'm sort of introverted that way. I think that's way. important, because on Facebook, she's asking her friends, and I think that's... I think it's really important to think about if you're the one kind of looking for the for the job it's also important to think about the people w once you have the job and you're going to be the one going out hiring think about what you would do and I think for like 95% of us it, it, it's going to people who you know and trust and having them recommend somebody 
and it makes the kind of cold calling and you realize, oh, well, once I'm in that job, I'm probably not going to just accept cold calls and go meet. It's also not a town. I guess I'll speak on the development track a little bit, but it's not a town typically, this goes back to the general meeting that I was talking about earlier, it's not a town that like a job, like my assistant job or something doesn't kind of open up you know, I, I guess it gets posted, but truly it gets filled typically by my assistant who was just promoted or who was leaving. He, yeah, it's not just to everyone. And I think a lot of other jobs, I don't know, I, I assume if you hear about a job at General Motors, you, a lot of, you send your resumes in and apply. I assume uh, Hollywood, I think they kind of claim that they do that on some level. Maybe a handful of jobs get filled that way. But primarily it's when you took you know, you take general meetings, you again make that list of anybody and everybody who you can know, take generals, and then when the job, there's probably not a job when you took the general, and right. then three months from that, from then, the job opens up and they go, oh, I took that general with that person, I should have her back in. Or more likely, you're out, we're out to lunch with a friend, or Anna put something on her Facebook page, I see it, and I go, oh my God, I took a general with somebody last week who went to my college or whatever, she was great, and I send that to Anna. That tends right. to be, yeah how it goes as opposed to, there's a job opening, now I'll go for it. You kind of need to be going for it all, right. all the time. And just taking those opportunities to not like expect anything from a general and use it as just like FaceTime with someone that at some point yeah. down the line, it's just like this yeah. kind of web of people, yeah. right? It, you know? By the way, it goes on for your whole career. Right. I mean, the, I, sh I shouldn't make it sound like it's just for your first job that's, or something. That's actually a good this point is to like make. Vice presidents of development just, you know, they meet with people and you're, that's that's the networking side. You, there's, there's no job, but they know you're looking, but there's not a job too bad. And then, you know, three months later, a year later, are you yeah. still looking? Now we have an opening. It's, it's, it, it doesn't stop. I'd say it's really hard to, den to deny quality. So if somebody shoots a tape for an audition and they send it to me and they say, hey, you know, it's, maybe it's a tangential friend or maybe it's somebody, a stranger on social media, they say, can you take a look? You press play in three seconds. You're like, okay, well, this is compelling or not. And sometimes the work, even if they don't get it, it's like, I if really good work, you can't turn away. You like can't stop reading a good script if it's really good. And I've been, sh let me tell you, I did Westworld this year. That conversation and essentially that offer came off of a direct message on Twitter. So like, and I look, I have relationships with these people, but that was the means of communication. And it made it easy and I have no idea what the alternative would be. But even on Instagram, and like there's people here I know just from Twitter. Like, I mean, even Catherine Willis is like, there's people who are like, they're on my mind though. Like, I don't know, we know each other kind of, but like, I like, when you're thinking about casting and stuff and you're like swiping up on Instagram and you see somebody and you're like, oh, it's funny and they, they have these relationships and I know these people. It doesn't, I've had a lot, it's, I, I mean, just straight up, I've had a lot of very positive things come off of social media and also I think it's an incredible way to like interact with fans in a way that's safe and that allows people to feel like they're heard, like their voice is heard and we're all here because fans support the shows and we're all actually having a conversation with the audience, whether we are literally or not, we're doing it with our work. And getting to interact with those fans is a really uh, wonderful, satisfying way. I, mean, I remember I t tweeted it like Danny Meyer or something, or, and he like clicked, he liked it, and I was like, oh my God, Danny Meyer liked my click. So like, why not take 20 seconds and like a few things, and you at least see it, and sometimes things come up. And if it's a good script or if it's a good audition, people will, you can't turn away from it. Well, um, on that note about fans, let's open it up to some questions in these final moments. Uh, yes, you straight in the back. Hi there. I was just being a fan 
and your work. And I'm curious to know when, oh. I'm curious to know when did you exhale and feel like you'd made it? And now that you're established and you can afford to be choosy, um, I'm curious to know if uh, you feel a sense of responsibility to pay it forward to others coming up. You mentioned the six degrees of separation and I found that that's how it has helped my career and I'm curious to know your thoughts on that. Um, I would say, like I feel now like I will always work, right Brian? <laughs> <laughs> Right, Anna. I, I do feel like I like a, like a couple of year, a few years ago, I reached a certain level where it's like, okay, I'm like I'm at a certain level and I'm going to keep staffing. But just in answer to the second part of your question, I find it extremely important to pay it forward. And because I came up as an assistant, I'm always looking to sort of mentor people from within and keep an eye on them and and help them move forward. And I would say I was going to say this earlier, but. Liz said this once a couple of years ago. I, I think the best advice is to always do whatever job you're given extremely well. Because I've had a lot of people come through, not just assistants, but sometimes younger writers who, you know, they don't mean to sound arrogant when they're saying it, but are like, I just want to be a showrunner. It's like, you don't just do that. Like, you have to work for that. And, you, and I would hope that you're not a showrunner and haven't learned anything. Like, the whole point is that you learn some stuff along the way. So I do really try to pay it forward. but. Not to everybody. <laughs> yeah, I think you, you pick people to invest in and, and, um, and support. And, and I always, you know, I have kind of a group of, of, you know, women who are younger than me that I'm always, like, clocking what they're doing, like, making sure they have assistant jobs, thinking about, like, how and when I, I, will I have opportunities to promote them. Just, just people that you invest in and love because... A, they're talented, and B, they've worked hard for you. Um, and I mean, that same feeling to answer the first part of the question. I think when I started doing casual, I finally like breathed kind of a career sigh of relief of like, I'd kind of gotten on a path that felt good and like I was kind of in the right place and um, could not be so like nervous about everything all the time. <laughs> But that was only like three years ago. <laughs> if you guys also have a, anything that um, I'm wondering, as transplants to Los Angeles, um, not only are you establishing a career, but in many ways you're really establishing an entirely new life on a personal level. Um, and I'm just wondering if it ever was, or if it still is a concern, like if you get married or you have a spouse or kids, kind of forcing them and you to be in the environment that is Los Angeles for better or worse for the rest of your lives. <laughs> I just moved. It's a little loaded. He must just that, that in no way seems like she thinks for better. She could have just said for or worse, worse or worse. Or worse. Are we gonna be okay? I don't know what's what's happening in LA. Uh, I'm from Wichita Falls, Texas. It's basically Los Angeles. If <laughs> so I was I was pretty prepared. Oh, I, I don't know. I, I, I love LA. I love my life. I'm surrounded by creative people, people who all moved out Are there. Do all of you guys have families or are married or is that everybody on the panel married? Yeah. Yep. Families? And you know, you start when you get to, you're like, okay, I'm going to come out to LA. I'm going to see if I can make it work. And then you're like, okay, maybe I'll get married here, but I'm not going to have kids here. Then you're like, okay, I'm going to have like kids here, but I probably won't do it forever. Right. And then you're like, okay, I live here. <laughs> I think, it's, yeah, you just make a niche for yourself there. It's, it's daunting, and it's a huge, huge city, but you 
find your community, you find your people. And I mean, I, I had the reaction where when I did move out to LA, it was just such a foregone conclusion that I was gonna do it, that I was there for a couple of years. And then I had a, a vacation that I went to the South and I was like driving through Charleston and Savannah and I was like, why am I living in LA, that place? But it's, that's, that's where you gotta be to do what we do. It, it does get pretty small. I mean, the, the industry is small. And then where you live, probably because of the traffic, you make it this way, but you tend to like, you can know like your local like grocer, you can know like it becomes a really small town if that's what you're into, um, that you kind of, your life, you know, your kids will go to school down the street, you end up playing with, you know, other families in your neighborhood, all of a sudden it starts to resemble a lot of other places. I mean, I'm, I'm a fanatical Bostonian and I spent half the year I used to in New York and I like LA at this point, I'm the biggest defender of Los Angeles. I think it is one of the most unique, diverse, interesting city with some of the most dynamic artists in the, in the world. I mean, it's like, it feels like almost like in a weird way, like some of the conversations I imagine that were happening in like Tribeca in the 70s. Like, I think like it's really happening. It's not just in LA proper. You can go further out into places like Highland Park and Mount Washington and things like that. There's some, the downtown arts district is amazing, but really it's like only boring people get bored. And you, make, you gotta make a community wherever you are and find people of that value. And LA has so much to offer. Well, and I think that's almost counter to the point, right? It can seem scary because it's so big, but I, find, I found the opposite to be true, is like because it's so big and diverse, just like with work, you find your life people. People that like are similar interests and sort of like... Are... And who maybe move there. Like there's a lot of towns you can move to and people are like, their group of friends that go back so far. Right. How am I breaking into that? Here, it's like a town of a, you said of transplants, there's a lot of us who move there elsewhere, and we all, they're kind of new friendships, you know, mm -hmm. from our 20s or something, which is, I think, important. Cool, we have time for one more question. Um, let me go, oh God, there's so many questions. Um, I'll go way in the back. Some, oh, thank you. A common path uh, for someone who's planning on an executive track is to start at a talent agency. What are the benefits to the executive um, for, for hiring, some, hiring someone from a talent agency, and what might be the benefits hiring someone who did yeah, not start in a talent a, agency? Yeah, this is a big deal. That seems to be a pretty constant. I didn't do it, and I got passed over. So I got that PA job, and man, so like I'm on the inside, I'm at the WB, I wanna work in development or current, you know, I wanna work in programming and like three assistant jobs came over, came up, and I didn't get any of the three. And like I'm on the inside, I feel like I should have an inside track, and I didn't. All three were filled by people who had been assistants at agencies. And I totally got it, like they understood, I, knew, I didn't know anything, I was out you know, fetching coffee and not learning the language of, of, uh, of development. I didn't know how to roll calls, I didn't know, I barely knew kind of the rhythms of TV. I didn't know the players, which is a big part of it. So now as an executive, when you're talking about how do you become an assistant to an executive, well that executive can't kind of stop, have their assistant come in totally cold and have to learn the players and understand who that is who's calling. That's pretty rough on an executive that they're, you know, whose, whose job is kind of moving so quickly. Somehow the agencies have allowed for that. I think maybe it's because you can be a floater or they're, they're so massive and have so many assistants that there's kind of a safety net and a training. I mean, it's just, it's just part of their culture, frankly, of having those be entry level. And they don't begrudge you. If you give a year of your life to them, 
working your ass off, they don't, if you don't want to be an agent, they don't begrudge you that. You know, sometimes they want you to be an agent because they're really liking you and think you could be a real asset. But if you say, I want to be a writer, I want to be a development executive, they'll work to place you into those jobs if you kind of did right by them. And it's not, and you're going to be good at it when you come over to my desk because I know you were just at WME for a year and a half on a TV lit desk. I don't have to sit there and teach you who the players are. So it's kind of a natural entry. And a big part of it too is just be like the volume of scripts you're exposed to and able to read and have access to at an agency yeah, is just, I, you can't really compare it and the diversity of material that you're able to have access to. Totally. I is, think that's important. I, I had an assistant who wanted to be a writer and she's now like a showrunner level writer. And she, I, I was blown away by her use of her time. Like every script that came through my office, she was reading. She had a computer at, my, at her desk, obviously. She would come in early and write and stay late and write and then use my desk as, like a, as networking to meet a showrunner who she then left me after a year and a half to go be a, an assistant to showrunners. It was like the perfect, and, and, and with the spec that she wrote on my desk as like a calling card, it was incredible. But that takes a lot because she's working hard on my desk to also then apply that kind of next level of using the time to read and like any downtime to write. It's, it's a really good lesson. It's a good, it's a good lesson too because you know all these people the, the the ability to move up and down in this business up and down in this business is it's incredible and you got to be nice to everybody because you just don't know man I mean so much power lies in the hands of some of these assistants and when you're trying to navigate through these waters and you can't get that that the, the person you're calling on the phone but you have a nice rapport with the assistant um, for justified I couldn't get so I couldn't get. DirecTV to let me out for these like eight episodes. And the head of the network at DirecTV was sick and nobody could get them. Nobody at my talent agency, nobody at my management company, and these are like big companies, they couldn't get them to sign off and the offer was gonna go away at the end of the day. And I had such a nice relationship with the assistant of, to him that she, she's like, I'll handle this. I called her directly at like 4 p.m. and she called him at his home because he was sick. He, she was the only call that he would end up taking. And that was a really wonderful experience for me to have. And I've seen it over and over and over again. People just like don't understand. One, it's the right thing to do as a human being. And two, like all these people are gonna come up and they're all gonna be there and they're gonna remember you whether you were nice to them or not. On that note, on the kindness note, we will end this panel. Thank you guys so much. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.